Good morning, Arbor. My name is Brian Cobley. I am the youth director here over Arbor Students. And if you're one of my students and one of my leaders, I do hope that you cheered online. But this is my third time preaching for Arbor, so uh, third time's a charm. But I get to continue the worship series that we are doing all summer. And the point, the whole goal of this series is we want to lift our eyes off the current circumstances to focus on Him. We want to lift our eyes off of current circumstances to focus on Him. And we believe that oftentimes when we do that, when we just take our eyes off of what's happening and we look to Jesus, how great, how grand, how marvelous He is makes our issues seem so small. It puts them in their proper perspective. So that is why we're doing this series. This is what Jake kicked off last week. And this week, I get to talk about worshiping with lavish love. But before I go into that, we really need to define what lavish means. And the definition of lavish just means to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities on, or, or to cover something thickly or liberally with. No, it's, it's, it's the kind of love that does not care what people think. It's the kind of love that doesn't care who is watching. But honestly, in our world, that's kind of difficult. You know, we, we really do care what people think. We really don't want to be pointed at. We don't want to be laughed at. We don't want to be talked about. I think we're all trying our hardest right now in today's world to not be the next viral video, which is why, honestly, anytime I go to a gym and I see a brand new equipment, I do not use it. I don't know how to use it, so I'm not going to try because I don't want somebody recording me and I find I see that video of myself and embarrassed. So we, we really, we don't want to be just embarrassed. However, there are moments in our life where something is so important that it doesn't care what other people think. You know, for instance, my son, Cade, he's one years old and he loves to dance. You put music on for him and he just starts, you know, jumping like the toddlers do. He, he jumps, he claps, he spins, jumps, claps, spins, and it's the cutest thing. And this was happening last week. He was in public, and I was super impressed because he really knows how to dance to the rhythm. And he was doing it, doing his thing, jumping, dancing. And everyone around him was just watching him. They thought it was so cool. But then he completely stopped, and he stared at me. So what do you think I did? Well, I completely joined in. I wanted to join in on my son's fun. And so I'm dancing with him. I'm jumping. I'm clapping. You know, we're, we're having a good time. And I, honestly, I did not care what other people thought of me. I enjoyed that moment with my son. I got to enjoy that, that memory that my son could think that my dad loves to dance with me. That's all I cared about. But here's the thing. If you took my son out of that scenario and I was just a guy jumping and dancing and clapping like that, people would probably think I'm weird. But here's the thing. I won't give them the chance to even find out because I would not do that if it weren't for my son there. But you see, that's the concept of lavish love. Lavish love doesn't care who is watching. You are going to love the best way you can. And the greatest example of this lavish love that we have in Scripture is Mary. 
Now, Mary, we know her as the siblings of Martha and Lazarus, and they are very close to Jesus. And usually, when we encounter Mary throughout Scripture, she's at the feet of Jesus. But seeing John chapter 12, Mary shows us what worshiping with lavish love looks like. In this this moment, Mary and her siblings are sharing a meal with Jesus, and this is what it says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. So as we're reading this, a big question comes up. Why would Mary do this? Why would Mary grab her expensive ointment, her expensive perfume, and pour it on Jesus' feet? Well, the answer is this. Mary's heart was grateful. Her heart was full of gratitude. And she wanted to show it. She wanted to express it. So why was she so grateful? See, the last time before this moment that we encounter Mary was when her brother Lazarus was dead. And he was dead for four days. And they were weeping. They were crying. And when when Mary saw Jesus coming up, she fell at his feet. And she said, Lord... If you, have, if you would have been here, then I, my brother would not be dead. So then Jesus wept, and he goes to the tomb, and he has, it, he has it moved, he has it opened, and after he prayed to the Father, he cried out with a loud voice for Lazarus to come out. And Mary and Martha's brother came out. He was resurrected. He was living. Mary's brother was alive. So here we are. Six days before Passover, Jesus, the disciples, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are now having a meal for Jesus. And Mary, she just, she just has this grateful heart, this, this gratitude stirring inside of her, and she wants to express it. So what does she do? She responds with lavish love. So she grabs ointment and anoints the feet of Jesus and wipes her hair. She grabs her hair and wipes his feet with her hair because she does this. She she does this out of just pure gratitude. So I want to ask you, have you ever been grateful? I mean, have you had that moment that you're so grateful that you just want to tell that person like just how amazing they are in your life? See, I had a moment like this when I was in college. When I moved to Boise, I moved from California to Boise, Idaho to go to the Bible college. I was nervous, but I was super excited. I was excited to to make new friends, to live this new life. Um, But most importantly, I was excited to to start my life into becoming a pastor. But you see, that that first semester, it was a difficult semester because I I really couldn't afford it. I I was pretty broke to the point where I had to work almost full-time just to afford the college. And I mean, I was like, eat baked potatoes with 10-cent chili can kind of broke. And I was, I, I, I tried to go to school, I was trying to work, but then something started happening in my abdomen that first week of school. And it didn't feel great, it really hurt, and I had to go to the restroom a lot. 
And people around me were like, Brian, I, I, I think that's your appendix. And I'm like, no, uh, it's not my appendix. I, I don't have health insurance and I don't want to go all the way to the hospital for them to tell me you just have a stomach bug. Because I was pretty convinced it was a stomach bug. So I put this off for like a day and a half until the point where the pain was just unbearable. I couldn't do it anymore. So I go to the ER and they slap that thing on my wrist that has a barcode. And if you've been to the hospital recently, then you know that is where they are scanning to charge you for everything that they're doing. So they put this thing on me and they just, they keep charging me for every little thing. I'm like, stop, please, please stop charging me. Just like, please stop. And I'm just, I'm getting nervous because I know I can't afford this bill. And the doctor comes in and he tells me it is your appendix. So then I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how much this is going to cost. So they, they move me up and to a private room. And my aunt, who was with me at the time, goes, wow, aren't you super excited that you get this whole room to yourself? And my answer was, no, like move me to the pit in front of everybody. I can't afford this room. So they just keep scanning me. I didn't want to tell them that I was in pain because they would give me medicine and just keep scanning me. And over and over again, I would just see that gun scan. And when it was finally done, it took a few months but I finally got that bill in the mail. You know, I was hopeful that maybe they forgot about me, but the bill came in the mail and it was for $90,000. My first semester in college and I'm already $90,000 in debt. Now, I was, I was scared. I had no idea what to do. I had no idea how I was gonna afford a $90,000 bill. But you know, I filled out scholarships after scholarships, grants after grants, just trying to get some help. To, to take this bill and just drop it even a little bit. But I kept getting rejected because I was not from Idaho. I was not from Boise. I was not even, I'm nowhere near the county. I was a Californian. Quite honestly, if you know people from Idaho, they don't really like Californians. So I already had that going against me. But after a year, I still had no help. And I didn't know what to do, uh, except for one Sunday I went to church the connection card came over to me and I just saw that prayer request spot. And I filled out, I filled it out, I told my story. Just, you know, I just wanted God to know every little detail of what was happening in my life. But I submitted it and honestly kind of forgot about that prayer request until a week later. I call the hospital because I, I need to start making some payments on this thing before, I don't want to go to collections for $90,000. And so I call and the lady on the phone goes, what's your account number? What's your name? What's your date of birth? And I give them all that. And she goes, Mr. Cobley, your balance is zero. And I said, wait, what? Like, you mean four zeros and a nine? She goes, no, you know, you don't, you don't owe us anything. And I'm like, there has to be something wrong. I got rejected on everything. She goes, I'm, I'm telling you, sir, there's, there's no debt to this hospital. And I asked her, like, how, how is that so? Who paid the bill? And she goes, I don't know, but all I can tell you is you owe us nothing. And I hung up that phone. And to this day, I have no idea what happened. I have no idea if somebody at the church covered the bill. I have no idea if the hospital just, you know, had mercy and pity on me. I don't know if I won some lottery. But all I know is I do not have $90,000 over my shoulder 
that I was debt free after that appendix. So are you, are you grateful for something? You know, Mary is grateful. Mary is grateful because she gets to have this meal with her brother. She's grateful because she can have this meal with her brother because of her Lord, who is also reclining at the table. See, Mary had a grateful heart, and she wanted to gift Jesus something of lavish proportion. So Mary's gift was valuable. Mary's gift had significant value. It says this continuing in the verse. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. He says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's of wages, a year's wages. So what we know about this oil is that it is very costly. You know, one scholar says that this was an uh, uh, an herb grown in the high pasture land of the Himalayans uh, between Tibet and India. And during the first century, uh, this type of oil would be, would be spent and poured and covered over a body so you didn't smell the decay. But what we know completely about this is that this oil is expensive. And with Mary, you know, there's some scholars who believe that this was a family heirloom. This was passed from, from generation to generation. And it could have been the thing that she had that was of most value in her life. But Judas says that it was worth a year's wages. Other translations say that it was worth 300 denarii. So in today's world, an average household makes anywhere between about 45 to $50,000. So this oil, this ointment that she poured on the feet of Jesus could have been anywhere between forty-five dollars to $50,000. You see, Jake said last week that worship simply means declaring worth. And when you worship God, you are declaring Him supremely worthy. You see, worshiping God is putting God above everyone and everything else. And that is what Mary is doing. She is telling Jesus that you are worth it, that you are worth every bit of this ointment, every bit of this perfume. See, Mary does not portion control how much that she wants to express her love to Jesus. She doesn't hold anything back. And what she shows us, what she's telling us, and what we can see is that true worship costs something. When we're in deep worship, when we want to truly show God our lavish love, it is going to cost something. And it's going to cost time and energy. See, lavish love is going to take time. It's going to take intentional time to show that Jesus is worth it. That's what lavish love does. You know, love doesn't love when it is most convenient when you have time to show this love. No, lavish love makes intentional time. And it's going to take some energy. So when we, when we, what we should feel when we're giving our lavish love is that we are giving our all, that we have nothing left to give because we held nothing back, that we poured out everything that we have at the feet 
of Jesus. True worship is going to cost something. See, there's a story that I heard once about this married couple. This couple has been married for years, and they have an anniversary coming up. And this wife just wants to give her husband the greatest gift. And the husband has this pocket watch that has been in the family for years. But there's something missing with this pocket watch. This pocket watch doesn't have a chain. So this husband's just been putting the pocket watch in his pocket, out of his pocket, not being able to have the, you know, the, the great chain to make it a lot easier. So this wife, for their anniversary, wants to gift him the best chain that she could find. So she goes to the store. She's looking at chains. You know, she, she doesn't like this one. She doesn't like this one. But then one just catches her eye. Like, that's the one. That's the one she wants. And she goes over. But the issue is, it's too expensive. She cannot afford this chain. But you see, there's something about this, this wife. She has gorgeous, long, beautiful hair. It is her favorite thing about her. And I totally get it. You know, I know where she's coming from. But see, her hair did not matter to her as much as her love for her husband. So what she does is cut her hair completely off and sells it so she can have enough money to buy this chain. So she does it. She has a chain. She's super excited. She wraps it, and she can't wait for her husband to open this gift. So the anniversary comes up, and the husband looks at her, kind of wide-eyed, big eye, because obviously he can see what she has done. And she hands over the gift. He opens it up, and it's just an amazing chain. It's a beautiful chain for that pocket watch. But you see, she tells him the story. The husband goes, babe, this gift is amazing, but I had to sell my pocket watch. And she was wondering, well, why did you do that? Well, he said, well, I wanted to show you how much I loved you, so I sold this pocket watch and I gave you this gift. And she opens it up, and it is something with just fine jewels over it. And it was a hair clip for her hair. So you see, true love, it's going to cost something. Even David, King David knew this. David, the great shepherd, David, the great king, who wrote the majority of the Psalms, he said this when it came to worship. I will not offer burnt offerings to my Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. See, David didn't want to worship if it did not cost him something. Worship, true worship, is going to cost something. And it costs something to Mary. Mary's gift was valuable. It was expensive. But here's the thing. There were some who thought that the value was too great. There were some who considered her wasteful. Mary's critics were disagreeable. They disagreed with what she did. See, her lavish worship of Jesus is improper according to human standards. This is what it says. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And this is Judas speaking. He says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judah says, why was this not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 
And here's the thing. He had so much influence that it says in the other Gospels that the disciples chimed in. The disciples agreed. They agreed that Mary was wasteful with this. To put it in perspective, when Jesus did the amazing miracle of feeding 5,000 people, before he performed that miracle, he asked Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And Philip's answer was, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to feed each of them to get a little. See, that's the number of Philip throughout, like this big number. 200 denarii would not feed the people here. And here we have Mary pouring 300 denarii worth of oil on Jesus' feet. And they thought that was insane. They agreed with Judas. But Judas did not actually care about the poor. He was a thief, a keeper of the money, and he used to help himself. Now, he was insulting Mary for pouring this expensive, this $300, this 300 denarii worth of ointment on Jesus when he is about to portray Jesus for 300 pieces of silver. He, he does not care truly about the cost, except for that he didn't get it. See, Judas was critical of the way Mary expressed her love, her worship to Jesus. And there's more critics coming along with it. But Jesus loved her worship. It says, Jesus said, leave her alone. Jesus says, you will always have the poor, but you will not always have me. Now, this is no way saying that the poor is not worth your time, that the poor is not worth your energy. I think the Sermon on the Mount kind of shows Jesus' true heart of the poor. But I think what Jesus is saying is exactly what he was saying to Martha when Martha was serving the disciples and Mary was at the feet of Jesus, and she was upset that Mary wasn't helping. So she tries to tell Jesus to tell Mary to help me. But Jesus says what Mary is doing cannot be taken away from her. She is doing the right thing. Jesus is doing it again, saying that her priorities are correct. Me above everyone and everything else. What Mary was doing then can help us today. We can see what lavish worship is. No matter how we're worshiping, we can learn from Mary because Mary's act was influential. What Mary was doing has influence. But who did she influence? Who exactly did she influence here? Well, first, she influenced Jesus because Jesus loved it. Jesus loved what Mary was doing. Jesus loved this lavish love that Mary was expressing. See, Jesus stood up for her. In Mark's gospel, he says that she has done a beautiful thing for me. So whenever we, we worship, we, we are expressing our worship to Jesus. And if it pleases Jesus, then who cares what other people think? If it pleases Jesus, who cares what other people will say? You know, when I, when I was growing up in church, I went to a church that, you know, wasn't really emotionally expressive. You know, during the songs, we'd raise one hand if we were really feeling it, maybe two. The most charismatic we'd really get is this uh, man named Pat that anytime the preacher was preaching a great sermon and he was feeling it, you would hear him go, that's right. And, you know, if, if, if Pat goes, that's right, then you knew the Holy Spirit 
was active in the sanctuary. If you knew, if you heard Pat say, that's right, then you knew that your sermon was great. So I'm hoping I get some that's right today. You see, we weren't that expressive. But something incredible was happening at this church. See, this ministry was growing. And it was a ministry for single moms in recovery. And all these moms, like collectively, when they went into the sanctuary, they would stand in the front row. And during the worship, they would be singing, they would be dancing, they'd be laughing, they'd be going the aisles. They would just be having the greatest time in the world. It was like there was no other place they would rather be than in that front row singing their songs, dancing to the songs to their Lord and Savior, Jesus. However, not everybody liked it. You know, some people would talk about them. Some people would gossip about them. Some people would laugh. Some people would point. And honestly, there were some people who left the church because it was not that type of church. And I remember one day in particular, I was sitting in the balcony, and worship music was playing, and you know, I'm probably have my hands in my pocket doing my little my Christian rock like I, I usually do during the worship song. And the person next to me, and this, they didn't have any negativity in their heart, no, no malice in their heart. But they asked me this question. Why are they doing that? And I remember watching them and truly wanting to be like them. And I looked at this person and says, man, I wish I could do that. But my pride and fear of embarrassment will not let me do that. You see, these moms... They wanted to show Jesus that they were grateful. These moms had something to give during worship, and they poured it all out for Jesus. And they were influential. Because, I mean, honestly, it could have been a room full of a 1,000 people or a room with zero. It didn't matter because their worship was not for the people around them. Their worship was for Jesus. And they wanted to show Jesus this lavish love that they had to offer. And they would pour it out to him every single Sunday. You see, worship, worship is not a horizontal exercise. It is vertical. Worship is for Jesus. And Jesus loved it. Jesus loves when we pour everything out. And Jesus loved how Mary worshiped him. So that is one way that she has influence. She influenced Jesus. And second, she influences us. Just like how those moms have an influence on me today. She influences us. She has given us one of the biggest examples of how to worship with lavish love. Mark 14, 9 on this account says this, and Jesus is speaking. He says, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. See, this is true. Because this account is in three other Gospels. And any time somebody buys, receives, or has access to the Scriptures, her story is in it. And it has been in it for over 2,000 years. Her story, her influences, has been going on that long. She has influence. So in closing, I, I want to talk about two people in this account, two influential people. And that is Mary and that is Judas. 
See, Mary and Judas have a lot of similarities in their life. You know, they both were at the feet of Jesus and his teachings. They both witnessed miracles of Jesus and his power. And they both witnessed Lazarus, who is currently sitting at this table, eating the meal, reclining at the table. They both seen the miracle of him and his resurrection. And they're both misjudged in the story. Mary misjudged as being wasteful, and Judas being misjudged as wise and generous. See, they have similarities, but they have one major difference, and that was their heart. See, with all of the the teachings and the miracles, Mary's heart is just filled, while Judas' heart is getting hardened. See, her heart was getting changed and, and, and that is what lavish love is about. It is about an overfilling heart. It is about the heart of someone. Now I want to close with this story. And it's a story about Matt Redman. And when he wrote the song called A Heart of Worship, you might have heard it. And after this, it might be stuck in your head for a few days. I think that's, I think that's what that song does to people. But the famous line of the song is, I am coming back to the heart of worship. And you see, he wrote this song on a personal level, and when I heard this story, I was amazed. I did not know this story until somebody shared it with me. And it really made me want to listen to the song even more this week. But this is the story. He was at a church where the pastor felt like true worship was not happening, that people were just being distracted by the lights and by the sound system. So the pastor decided to do something a little extreme. But what he did was he pared everything down. He said, as the weeks come, you know, we we love to worship through song, but I think we should refocus. We should refocus and make sure that we're not leaning on the props, the sound system. Who is leading worship and, and what song are we singing? He told them that I just want you to bring your Bibles, your voices, and anything that you have to offer to the Lord because... I want to make sure and check that we still have an offering to God. And Matt said in an interview that that first week was really awkward, but it started catching on during the week. But he said it was even more awkward for him because he was actually curious about his job. Like his whole job was to lead worship, and now he's not doing his job during this time. But you, but you see, he said that it offered him a, a time to even check his own motive. It offered him a time to to refocus and to help him write the beginning of this song, which you might know the words, but I'm going to read it to you. But it says this. It says, When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something, that is wor- something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear, You're looking into my heart. And the chorus is, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. See, Mary helps us in this this account to come back to the heart of worship. That is to worship our Lord with a lavish love. So let's give it our all to Jesus. Let's pour everything that we have 
into him. You know, however we worship, whether that's through song or just throughout our lives, let's worship him with lavish love. Like there's no one in the room. Like we don't care what people think or what people say. Let's worship with lavish love.